Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. This is a special on climate change. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Gregory Wrightstone. He's the author of the best-selling book, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Gregory is a geologist with more than 35 years' experience researching and studying various aspects of the Earth's processes. Welcome to the show, Gregory. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. So my first question to you is, why did you decide to write the book, Inconvenient Facts? Actually, I, it's unusual in that I didn't set out to write a book. I really didn't. I set out to seek the truth. As a geologist, I got a lot of conflicting information, just as like I'm sure you have, and your your listeners are probably all shaking their head right now, going, "Yeah, yeah." And sometimes you don't know what to believe. So I, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a deep dive and look into this myself. I'm gonna go back to the basic sources and facts about these many uh, allegations about our changing climate. And sorry to, sorry to interrupt, Greg, was that with a view simply to sort of, if you like, sort of finding your own uh, personal truth on this, or was it with a view to ultimately ass- uh, assembling a book about it? No, I didn't set out. Right. I absolutely did not set out to write a book. Uh, okay. In fact, I put together a presentation for my our local geologic society, and I had just, I'd been researching this for six months, and I gave the presentation, and that evening... I mean, I just got rave reviews about all these, the inconvenient facts that people just hadn't seen. And I, I said, I think I'm going to turn this into a book. Uh, and, and that's what I did. Uh, it's, it, it enraged me, actually, what I learned about how much misinformation we're being given about the various, what I call the climate apocalypse events. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, and, and when I dive into it, in so many cases, we find that if they're saying X, the truth and the facts say Y. Uh, and that's that really became my mission was to present a clear science and fact-based information for the, for the non-scientist. And I wanted to make it in a readable, logical way because too many climate change books, I've, I've got a whole <laughs> a huge library. Most of them are six or eight pages of text and then a black and white chart. Well, mm. forgive me, but you didn't have to pay me to read some of these. I mean, I'm a climate <laughs> geek and I'm still, and it's just really difficult. So what I wanted to do was, was not only do it, have a book that's readable for the regular Joe or Jane on the street, but also heavily illustrated. So I've got more than 90 full color illustrations on, on high quality paper. So, and that are, they're, they're easily understood by the regular non-scientist. Uh, so that's why the the book's had legs. It's been you know, starting in March. It was the number one bestseller on Amazon in several categories. We're down to I think three or four or five bestseller on Amazon right now in a couple categories. Uh, but it's it's we've gotten tremendous tremendous uh, outpouring of of people just actually the main th- one thing my publisher had said was it's amazing how many people buy multiple copies that they buy mm-hmm. one. And I've got people that have bought 30 or 40 or 50 to give out to friends. 
I had a well, I had a gentleman from Corpus Christi, Texas, that bought one thousand books. <laughs> he says this book needs to get out there. I'm gonna and I said sure. I'd be glad to sell them to him. I'm a capitalist. <laughs> Did you give him a discount? <laughs> I did. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but if you want a thousand, I can I can work with you. So you said I think earlier that you were you, you got a little bit disgusted about about the uh, let's say the, the climate change alarmist fringe. Uh, one of the questions I would have is, uh, I mean, I, I I'm just seeing if I can find it because I saw an excellent tweet on this just before we sort of started the recording. Because uh, I, I, I know you're you you do use Twitter, don't you? Yes. Yeah, I saw an excellent one, and this is from someone in the UK who said, "The most this is just this is an hour ago on on Twitter. The most powerful governments on the planet can't even contain the coronavirus, but claim that they can control the Earth's temperature with more taxes." Now that gets to my gets to my scepticism about this, which is ultimately, in terms of, I mean, may, may, I mean I'm sure the people who are believers in in the let's say the the, the alarmist cult would say, well, this is, I mean, it, uh, one thing they often say is this is settled science, which I, I, I personally cannot get, but then I'm no scientist. But it, it, on the basis that there is something to the topic of, of uh, particularly anthropogenic climate change, who, who, who stands to benefit from the, the so-called alarmism? Yeah, that's good. I get that question a lot. Uh, now we go, you, we've just transferred from science into political science, haven't uh, and, and economics, yes. And economics. And uh, I often tell people that y you and your listeners are just as qualified to answer that question as I am. What I like, what I can do is provide the science, the facts, and the data that says they're lying to you about this, and this is why, and this, these are the facts. And, you know, why... I don't. I, I. I'm going to be honest. I think people have different motives for this. Obviously, some some scientists are are driven. If they don't publish and don't accept this, there's there's absolutely clear evidence that they're blackballed. They don't get they don't get published in the right journals. They don't get picked up. They don't. They're blackballed, and in many cases, we've seen. Uh, Fired from their positions. We've so so, the, so that's the, so that's a form of institutional groupthink, effectively. Then. Yeah. And then there's there's a lot of money to be made at this. And Al Gore has been probably tops at it. I don't I don't hold my ire for Al Gore like some do, because mm. he's not a scientist. He has no ethics in that regard. Mm. And I think he set out to make a lot of money. And he has. Uh, he's made a huge amount of money. Uh, so I I hold my my real disdain for, for the scientists that are that are doing this. And I Maybe we can just talk about one example of of a climate hoax that, that I exposed recently. Uh, if you want to go into that, it's fascinating. Yes, please. Yeah, so, yeah I was going to ask you a few questions about various old chestnuts that yeah. people may might have, like rising sea levels and what's happening to the polar caps and and stuff like that, and forest fires, etc. But um, but yes, please. please yeah, in, do. in November, the UN released a report on uh, species diversity and extinctions. Uh, and in it, they stated that there will be up to one million species that will go extinct over the next several decades. Well, I read this. I read the report, and my BS detector just started, you know, the klaxons were bearing. The alarms started going off. So I said, this just – and I went back to the same base data. Now, bear in mind, to get one million species going extinct – 
in that time frame, you would have to have 25,000 to 30,000 species go extinct per year. And the chart that they included in the UN report uh, showed skyrocketing extinctions. It looked scary. And I went back and looked at it, and the chart only had one data point per century. It went back to the year 1500, and so each century was added on to the previous centuries. So it was cumulative, if you will. You're, and so it just it looked horrific with extinctions just going off the chart. And I went back and I looked at the exact same data. It was from it's called the IUCN Red List data. So if you want to learn anything about extinctions or uh, species that are at risk, you go to the Red List. I went back to that same data. I graphed it in a ten year every ten years in a decadal. Uh, manner, and it showed that species extinctions peaked in the late 1800s, and there's been a significant decline ever since. In fact, over the last 40 years, the average number of species going extinct, now are you sitting down, are you ready? It's been two, two per year, two, not 2,000, wow. not 200, two. They're telling us that there may be 30,000 species going extinct no, there won't. No, there won't. The big takeaway from this report from the UN, instead of this alarmist scenario of million species going extinct, the big takeaway should have been, we're doing a really, really good job protecting our endangered species. That should have been the summary of the report. But that's, that's, that's not newsworthy, though, is it? Unfortunately. You need, they need to spread fear and alarm. Otherwise, uh, you need to have this a populace that's alarmed and scared, uh, or we won't accept. I mean, think about this. We're, we're being asked to self-impose increased taxation, increased regulations, loss of freedom. Why? Mm. Uh, it, would, it would have to be, if we don't do it, we'll go we'll, We'll take take one more step into this climate uh, uh, abyss, and we'll fall into one climate apocalypse after another. Uh, so, it they they need to spread fear and alarm, and they're they're doing it very well. I will say uh, they get an A plus for what they're doing, and they've been they've managed to to spread regularly occurring events. They're they're turning them into. Uh, these unusual and unprecedented events that Australia is burning up and the Amazon's lungs yeah. of the earth are being being destroyed. And and when, when you actually look at the data, you know, maybe it's a bit worse this year, but they have fires every year in both places. Most of them I was are- going to ask you specifically about that. You're saying that that's not, definitely not caused by man's polluting the planet or... Oh, absolutely. Or th- if we look at, let's just talk about Australia. Uh, yeah. And first, we have to understand what causes fire. What are the causes? It's you need fuel, you need an ignition source, and you need arid conditions. So if we look at, at drought, at arid conditions first, drought has been actually in decline, uh, a, a con- contrary to what you might read just anywhere in the media. Uh, there's been It's definitely not been increasing. I have six charts I just completed in another booklet. Uh, I had six charts charts. Two of them showed no increase in drought. Four of them showed a declining in drought. So droughts have been declining. Uh, The ignition sources in Australia, you've read a lot about the arsons, and the ignition source, it's really less than 
it, it looks like less than 15% are, are intentionally set uh, in Australia this year. Uh, the 15% is still too many. But most of these, it's something like 8% are natural caused by dry lightning strikes. And the others are, are caused by humans, but not intentionally, you know, um, sparks from a train, uh, you know, a, a careless cigarette butt that gets thrown out, things like that. Um, and what we see is we look at precipitation. I also looked at precipitation in Australia dating back to the early 20th century. And we see over the last 20 or maybe 30 years, there's been a pretty good increase in precipitation uh, and the greening. And if you look at NASA tells us Australia's what they call greening, in other words, increased vegetation. Um, and that combined with uh, poor forest and bush management allowed the fuel to increase hugely over the last decade or more. Or more. So now you've got fuel increase. And then in early 2019, Australia went into a drought. Heat wave, drought, nothing unusual for Australia. Uh, the, it's, it's just pretty common occurrences, recurring droughts there, and they're used to it. But now we've had 30 years of vegetation growth. You get a drought, and now it's just set up. So this year was, it, I looked at the acres burned for Australia, and this year was, I believe, the sixth most, I don't have the material in front of me, it was sixth or seventh most acres burned in Australia. So this goes back to uh, devastating fires in the mid-1800s, the 1938-39. Uh, I believe that was called the Black Friday fires um, that destroyed huge portions of Australia. So they have the, these are recurring uh, things. This isn't, fire's not a new thing. In fact, when the first explorers uh, land, uh, came um, uh, Tasman, Abel Tasman, Captain Abel Tasman arrived. Uh, he he said every in his logbook that everywhere he landed there was either fires or evidence of recent fires. There was always smoke on the horizon. That's because the Aborigines uh, that arrived thousands of years ago brought fire with them and actually uh, completely transformed the continent using fire. And they used it early, often, and regularly uh, for for a number of different reasons. And so fire has always been, has long been part of the Australia uh, history. Uh, so Captain Abel, if you, Abel Tasman was the first to reach there. And he, of course, Tasmania is named after him. But a century later, uh, Captain James Cook uh, noted the same thing when he got to Australia. Uh, so with what, they are, what they're talking about now, and I, I have a lot of contacts in Australia I keep in touch with. Uh, I plan to go there for when I publish my next book uh, on a book tour down there. And uh, these people are there, there's a strong realization in Australia now that it has nothing to do with climate change, but rather uh, forest management that they need to use these prescribed burns more. Uh, one of the sayings that they use there is mild fire, not wildfire. In mm -hmm. other words, you do the mild fires in the cool in the cool, uh, months, the wetter months, so they don't get away from you. But that clears out much of that fuel. And you control the fuel, you'll control the fire. First, you mentioned a second book. Will that also be relating to climate change, or is that on another topic? It is. It's. It'll be. I don't want to go into too much of it yeah. here, but it, it really. It's. It's more of an ex exploration. The second half will be an exploration of the the many benefits we're seeing from increased temperature and rising CO two levels. Right. And it's not even close. I mean, yeah. the Earth is 
is prospering greatly due to our changing climate. And almost, almost by almost every metric we look at, uh, it's just humanity is benefiting from this, from crop growth, uh, Earth's ecosystems are benefiting, uh, the Earth is greening. If you, if you Google NASA and greening, you can find out what NASA has to say. According to them, up to 50% of the Earth is what they call greening or vegetation is mm. increasing. It doesn't quite fit the narrative, does it, of a, an Earth that's becoming a desert with the Sahara expanding. Just the opposite's occurring in the southern Sahara, an area known as the Sahel, 300,000 square kilometers now, have turned into a lush grassland that used to be desert. Uh, and we don't hear about this. And we, we see the same thing in air, air conditions in India, China, Australia. I mean, so, something weird seems to be happening in our politics because w what we've got here in the UK uh, was, I saw this on the news earlier today, um, weird things happen uh, when you have a long period when the socialists aren't in charge. So, for example, there was a news report today, miners, coal miners in the north of England um, are campaigning to stop existing coal mines being expanded. Now, no. these are the same people that went on strike and we had terrible social protest in the 80s when the mines were closed and now they're campaigning to stop them being developed it's you but that's 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 the kind of weird stuff that happens under a conservative government because the socialists here in the uk have not been in power now for over a decade and you can kind of feel the hurt oh no i'm not going to begin to understand <laughs> that but one thing I was going to say earlier, it seems to me a, a, a strong thread running through the whole climate debate and other things. We could talk about economics, perhaps at a later point. Is you can you can do an awful you can have an awful lot of fun and you can do an awful lot of damage with statistics because I think people are very easily swayed by spurious statistics. There's a site I've got in front of me now that I've looked at uh, some points over the last few years. It's a site called Spurious Correlations, which is a t terrific find. The one I'm looking at is it's 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 the correlation the very high the very strong correlation between number of people who drowned by falling into a swimming pool and the number, number of films Nicolas Cage appeared in in those years yep that's exactly <laughs> the one I had a I had a post on LinkedIn that was that was the example I used yeah Nicolas Cage and and drowning in swimming. I mean Given, given Nicolas Cage's output, you could actually make a case for there being a strong correlation between the, the, the more Nicolas Cage films being released and the number of people choosing to, to kill themselves by dr jumping into a swimming pool. But be that as it may, I think we should probably move on. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder, it would probably be good just to take a couple of minutes and tell you what I actually believe about the climate change. Right. right. Yes. Yes. So... I believe what the facts show that carbon dioxide's increasing. That's the main demon gas that's being demonized. Wait, sorry, sorry, before we even get onto carbon dioxide, would, would you accept the premise that that our climate is changing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a. It's hard as a geologist. I look at the big picture. It's hard to find a time anywhere in Earth's history where it wasn't changing a little yeah. bit, and sometimes significantly. So. What we have to do is put this in the longer perspective, which you need to find. Well, let's let's, let's go back to this though. First, yeah. with carbon carbon yeah. dioxide is increasing. The increase in carbon dioxide is mainly from us burning fossil fuels. The increase in carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas means it contributes some warming to the atmosphere. Okay, I believe that. Uh, that would put me firmly in that ninety-seven percent consensus. I just don't. I look. It, what's going the three the warming trend that we're in started over 300 years ago 
long before we started adding CO2 to the atmosphere. Mm. And those same natural forces are at work today. They didn't end in 1950. They're still at play today. So I believe that most of the uh, the warming we've seen since that is the continuation of these natural forces, and it's got some warming. It's warming contributed by by carbon dioxide. So you'd accept that the, one that climate is changing, but you would not necessarily accept the the, the concept of anthropogenic climate change, namely that what human activity is causing it, or it, it, it is causing it among beyond any other factor. Correct. That it's it's not. I, I don't believe it's the primary source, even if it's fifty percent. Mm. Uh, my uh, fellow I respect greatly is Patrick Michaels. He thinks it's fifty percent or more. Yeah. Uh, and he's called a skeptic. Um, but the other half of this, isn't it? Is is it is climate change harmful or beneficial? Mm. And uh, I've just gotten some. I've, I've got. You know, see, I just got a bunch of bumper stickers in. I've got one on the back of my. If you look on the back of my truck, it says I I love CO two. You know, with the I heart CO two stuff. Yeah. And I've got I I love CO two T shirts and, and and other things and buttons and the the many benefits of increasing CO two are 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 really evident and they're they're neglected. Uh, whenever you talk about benefits of CO two, man heads start exploding mm. and so yeah just, so those just are the before we get yeah so just before we get to that that point about co2 um the you're saying for the last 300 years the temperature has risen um has it risen faster in the last 100 years through industrialization or has it stayed relatively constant in its increase oh no no it's going up um there it's 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 warming in fits and starts so we go through, and each each time we go through a pause or a slight decrease in temperature, it bumps the next heat uh, warming interval, bumps it up another notch. So if you look at, for example, uh, if we look in the mid-40s, starting in the mid-40s uh, through the uh, mid-70s, we, we were in a cooling trend. There was a 33-year cooling trend. There just, no one disputes that. And then... Uh, in the late 70s, we started warming again. We warmed really – the, the warm there probably ended about 1998. Uh, there's a lot of dispute about this, and there's a lot of manipulation of some of the temperature records. Um, but if you look – in fact, the, the United States has the best uh, record-keeping system in the world, and that's why much of the temperature surface records – uh, are dominated by the United, United States records. Australia has pretty good records as well. Um, but if you look at the, the most recent one that was established in the early 2000s, uh, 2003, it was a pristine temperature stations, 114 stations across uh, the United States that took away all bias from urban heat island effect, or, or if you will, and they that particular record shows absolutely no warming since mm -hmm. that time in 16 years. Uh, wow. However, when that's surface data, if however, I'm 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 okay. I think it'll start warming up again pretty quickly. I'm I'm not I'm not opposed to that because as a geologist, I look at the other warming trends, and I find that the past not over the last 10,000 years, the past nine trends that were warming similar to ours, all ended up much warmer than we are today and lasted a bit longer. 
so no one really knows how long this, this warming trend is going to last. Uh, but one thing that we do know is it's going to get cold and cool at some point. And when it does, it's going to be bad. It's going to be horrific because each cooling period historically has been associated with crop failure, famine, poverty, poverty, mass depopulation. Mm. The last one uh, was called the Little Ice Age. Half the population of Iceland perished. It's thought that as much as a third of the population of the world perished during that time. And it was a number of different reasons, but um, if we look, and again, I'm going to be doing this with my next book, an exploration of the, the correlation between human history and humanity and the rise and fall of temperatures, because there's a strong correlation between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of, of civilizations. And and we see that, you know, just this strong, strong correlation. With warming has always meant bountiful harvests, uh, great civilizations and humanity rose up. You don't have to worry about feeding your family tomorrow. People had time to, to tinker, to dream, to invent, to sculpt during these warm periods. It was the intervening cold that were just really, really bad. And it's just opposite of what we're being told. And so that, is that why the, 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 the sort of fear-mongerings changed from global warming, which was the main one, to climate change? Well... I don't, when I tell people about this and I tell them stories about the previous warm period, the last warm period was called the medieval warm period. It was the, the time known as the high middle ages. Uh, when you think of the of blossoming of the, of the middle ages, that was then before it went into the, the uh, death dealing cold of the little ice age. And, uh, if, do you, do we have just a few minutes? I'll tell you a fascinating story. We've got as much time as you want. All right, we'd, well, love to, we'd love to hear everything that you've got to say. All right, so we've got, in the medieval warm period, again, this is from the years 850 A.D. to 1250 A.D., around in there, uh, the earth when it was, was thankfully warm. It was called the medieval warm period. Again, bountiful harvest, lots plenty to eat. There were um, uh, civilizations rose up. And then in the late 13th century, it started getting cooler. And... Temperatures dropped and famine set in, which is what happens when we have cooling. Uh, people blamed it on weather causing witches, and they, st <laughs> they, they started they started killing the witches. And uh, in fact, the 14th century, the Pope issued a papal bull that stated, "Yes, there are such a things as weather causing witches, and when you find them, you must kill them." Jeez. And they did, and so. Around 1500, it warmed back up again. And why? So they must have thought they did their job. I, right. Why did it warm up? Come on. Yeah. They killed all yeah. the witches. They killed all the witches. Oh right. my God. So that it was, and uh, then it, that lasted for 40 years or so, and then it really started getting cold. And that's when the really big witch hunts went on. Oh, because that's the witches were obviously very angry and made it get cold again. Well, I, would be I don't know, but boy, they, they, <laughs> it's, it's, there are an estimated 30 to 40,000 supposed witches killed, most of them burned at the stake. And uh, a lot of these were just widows living at the fringes of medieval society that they blamed it on. And, uh, but it was it was fascinating, and then it really it was, really didn't start until it started warming back the witch hunts. It, and I've got I've got a blog on my 
Uh, and also, if you go to my website, which is inconvenientfacts.xyz, uh, you can see I've got a video page and also a blog page. I've written about that. And in the blog and in the video, I show a chart comparing witches killed per decade. They're, they're actually they're, I, I've got the data, like witches killed per decade and temperature. And there's really it's fascinating the strong correlation between the two. This this would have been this would have been too early for Nicolas Cage films to make an appearance, wouldn't it? Yeah, but they didn't have swimming pools. <laughs> they had no swimming pools. So and so, isn't it fast? Isn't it fascinating that we have we're, we're we're being told just the opposite, aren't we? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! You can't warm up more than a degree and a half, or we're going to have famine, pestilence. No, that's not what we've seen historically. We've seen that it's it's the cold that's that's. I, I use the word horrific because it, it it is, and it's 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 going to be better this time when it gets cold because we're not moving food around by ox cart and we'll be able to move food around the planet better, but crops will still fail. There's nothing you're going to be able to do when this cold occurs with crop failure across much of, of the northern uh, higher latitude areas. The, the thing that really concerns me about the way this, I, I wouldn't even call it a debate because it's, it's, it's all one-sided. Uh, the, the way the media is portraying it seems to be it only brooks one, one, you know, one opinion. The thing I liked about your book, Inconvenient Facts, is that I hadn't heard this Latin phrase before, but it's the Latin phrase, audiator et altera pars. Or let both let both sides be fairly heard. Now that's the thing that's just not coming across. Everything that the mainstream media—I mean, I, I could—we could spend the entire podcast just berating the BBC for this. But everything, for example, on BBC News, it is taken as read that the climate is changing and it's our fault and there's nothing we can do except except. And but the thing is that the, the amounts that are being proposed, being spent—I mean, I think our own UK government is proposing spending three trillion pounds on measures that might not have any effect anyway. It's like the, the sums involved are truly scary. Yeah, no, now I, I'm a matter of clarification here. The Latin phrase you referenced, I'd love to take credit for it, but uh, Lord Moncton, Christopher Moncton was one of my editors in the book and he, he, he came up with that and I included it in the book. So yeah, uh, uh, kudos to him. Uh, so- But it's, uh, absolutely, it's absolutely a fair comment because both sides are not getting a fair hearing at the moment. It's all one-way traffic. I've participated in a rare, – rarely do we actually get to debate. I went to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York uh, several months ago and actually had a, a full-on debate with a climate alarmist professor. We had 200 students in the room in their debate and forensics class. And it was – and these kids had never heard a lot of what I talked about. Mm. Uh, and we got, I got a lot of push, or not pushback, but a lot of positive comments that, from these students. And, and then I, I just debated another professor, James Casting, alarmist professor out of Penn State University. Uh, he's up there with Michael, Dr. Michael Mann at Penn State. And uh, it was interesting. So I'm getting out and I'll be speaking. Uh, in April in Dallas, Texas, at the Earth X convention, it's the largest Earth Day celebration in the world. They had or they had 180,000 people last year, expecting over 200,000, and they invited me to speak. And I'm going to have a booth. I'm going to be selling my heart CO2 T-shirts and bumper stickers and my book. Brilliant. 
Um, I, I just wanted to circle back to the CO2, but just before I did that, um, I wanted to mention that if anyone wants to Google River Thames frost fairs, which is something that I'd, I'd heard about, um, yeah. I thought this happened once around no. 1700, but actually no. um, between 1300 and 1814, the River Thames turned to ice 23 times. And if you think about how clean it is now compared to the sewage that was going into it back then, for it to turn to ice, it must have been, you know, probably minus 20 or, or more. Um, and, and so if that happened now, people would absolutely freak out. They would, and it was for months. It wasn't just a little bit, but they literally had frost fairs on the Thames. Yeah. And and this is this is way before anything that... that you know, man could have done. If you go, if, great if, if anybody goes onto the South Bank, onto the Thames Path on the South Bank and the embankment, there is a, there's a, if you go through one of the tunnels uh, under the, under one of the bridges, there's an account of the Frost Fair and a, there's a charming little poem about it and, you know, what things upon the ice were done. So it, it, it it's absolutely part of the, part of the, the city's history. Yeah. And, it, and you were right about the River Thames back then. It was ugly. There was, I mean, all, just, raw sewage by the boatloads just coming in and just, it was bad. So you're right for it to freeze. It would have to be a lot colder. And, and these, I believe the last, did you say 1814? It hasn't happened. I thought it was 1821, yeah. but nonetheless, it's the early 1800s. There hasn't been a time since then when it's, from my understanding, where it's frozen like that. And, and that that's a great example of that cold of the little ice age. And and I call it the, the the beneficial warmings we've had since that time, and we've got we have a good temperature record. The the Central England temperature records the longest thermometer based temperature record available, and it's it's kind of bounded by London, Bristol, and I forget the other city, uh, but it's it's called the Central England temperature record, and it goes back to the year uh, 1659. Uh, and it, it, you can clearly see this this cold, cold period. And then you can see the again the warming in fits and starts coming up. They brought us up out of that. Uh, it would again the, the thing your listeners should take away from this this part of the conversation is are the many benefits of a warming uh, trend, a warming period that we've seen throughout human history, and, and what we what we're being told. Completely so, opposite. So CO2, why is it so bad? Or why is it perceived to be as bad? Because if trees breathe in CO2, and if you put more CO2 in the atmosphere, it would probably make trees grow faster. It's, 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 it's plant food. I mean, you make the point in the book, it's, it's plant it, food. It, it, is that right? I mean, yes, I, I, yes. I, I haven't had yes. the chance to read the book yet. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, within the book, I've got a chart that Dr. Craig did so and his team did laboratory experiments showing uh, that what would be the effect of adding 300 parts in addition. We're, we're a little over 400 parts per million right now, 410. Uh, and he said, well, what if we added another 300 in laboratory experiments? He looked at the crop. These are crops, various crops, uh, melons, gourds, various things. And he, he took a look at all of these that make up 95% of the crops we consume. The average growth increase would be 46% of biomass weight increase for crop. That's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. We'll be, we are feeding 
more people. We can feed the hungry. We should, and we should celebrate that, not not beat it down. And my my main philosophy that I have, and I, your listeners might want to adopt this, we we should use all of Earth's resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. Can I repeat that? Use all of Earth's resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. That's a, I, I think that's just a great philosophy for us to use. And and it's we're, we're not seeing, we're, again, your listeners are being lied to about so many of these bad things that they say are happening and just aren't. And what, what a lot of things, what I see is I, I'm a realist. I look at what's actually going on today where a lot of the alarmists from uh, Al Gore and Greta, they're relying on models, climate models, predicting various things to occur 50 or 80 years in the future, where I'm, I'm saying what's actually going on now, we can document that crops are, are breaking records year after year, uh, extreme weather-related deaths are in significant, huge, 98% decline since the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, it, it, we, I can get, it, there's so many of these. If we look at the, the largest study ever on temperature-related deaths was done by Dr. Antonio Gasparini and about 20 other physicians around the world. They looked at, uh, at, at 74 million temperature-related deaths and found that 20 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. 20 times. Well, just looking at that, Global warming saves lives because think of all those cold-related deaths that wouldn't happen. Uh, and we, we see, too, the again, we look at, at the many benefits of fossil fuels. When we look at President Trump just visited India this week, and I, I use India and Pr uh, Prime Minister Modi as a great example of what, what they're doing in India. They're doing an all-of-the-above energy policy there. They're using nuclear and coal primarily, and but they're also using some wind and solar, but it doesn't work very well in India because of their monsoon seasons. Mm. And what they're looking at, he wants to, in Modi's case, he wants to lift India up out of, out of poverty, and he wants to do it. He understands, just like President Trump does, that economies and uh, need to thrive. They thrive on reliable, abundant, and low-cost energy. No, not not any one of those three terms apply to renewables. Not at all. And Modi's going to do this by doubling down on coal-fired production. He's opening mines, lignite coal mines, building new coal-fired electricity generation facilities. Uh, and we're seeing, and China's really uh, the one that's really. Uh, going gung ho with uh, with coal fired electricity, they're they're just expanding greatly. And if we just looked, uh, the new EPA secretary for the United States last month announced that the United States had decreased its CO two emissions, I believe, by fourteen percent over the last decade, which was pretty significant. But he said, in only the last forty five days, increases in Chinese CO two emissions have completely replaced that. So what what we we here in the United States and you in Great Britain are trying to do doesn't won't mean anything. It won't mean a, it won't mean a thing because if we look at not only that if we because any emission reductions we do well it's going to be completely wiped out by China, India, Indonesia, mostly Southeast other Southeast Asian countries mm. by, by using more. And the other thing 
that people go, when I tell them this, they go, whoa. And, and that is, I didn't look at, at the UK, but I have the data for the United States. And if the United States reduced 100% of its CO2 emissions from all sources, human, human CO2 emissions, we would only avert four hundredths of a degree centigrade by the year 2050. Four hundredths. How, how many jobs lost is that worth? I'll tell you how many. Zero. Zero for four hundredths of a degree centigrade. Mm. And that, that's using their own calculations uh, from the UN and EPA. And but Yeah, but the, the argument for them not reducing it because it won't make a difference compared to other countries isn't as strong an argument as it doesn't actually pollute the planet i would have thought because one one could say you know if it if they are polluting the planet and you know one country could say well there's no point in us stopping because we're not going to make any difference because this compared to china country, compared to china compared so. to china yeah. g- given given that we've got the highest population that there's ever been in history we understand that there's a finite amount of resources when it comes to food and the planet is, is a finite size, but we are growing I, as a population. I, um, I'm not, not going to agree with you on that. Why? I don't see a, limit, a finite limit to food. We're, okay, we're, that's, good, that's good to hear. Let, let's let's I mean, talk about that. I mean, I, I can, just looking at almost every chart by almost every crop that you grow, we're just continuing to break records year after year after year. The crop production has just been been going great guns it's 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 going i mean i don't there's going to be we we're, we have more we're, we're growing more food today than ever and that's again partly due to uh, co2 increase the warming helps with uh extended growing seasons you get more plantings in uh spring frosts stop earlier in the spring arrive later in the fall things like that but i'm 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 not going to agree that there's this finite limit of of crop growth uh, there's we're we're actually two expanding possibly tillable areas in the in the higher latitudes that haven't been exploited so no i'm not and the other the other thing that i'll disagree with you is by calling co2 pollution it, mm-hmm. it's i i decide make a strong strong disagreement right there uh, there's CO2 by itself is not dangerous. Uh, you have to get, again, we're at about 400 parts per million. Uh, the U, the IPCC Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change projects that it might exceed 900 by the year 2100, and it might. But we don't see start seeing effect, bad, any any effects negative to human health until you get up, up over 10,000 parts per million, which we've never, we've never seen levels like that here on earth. Uh, the, so I'm, you know, the, the EPA was called the endangerment finding under the Obama administration, uh, declared that carbon dioxide was a, a pollutant. And that's one of the, one of the beefs I have with the Trump administration yet that they've not reversed that. Uh, that it's uh, CO2 should not be listed as a pollutant. What, one interesting statistic that I learned of quite recently, and I think is an important one when talking about pollution or, or the air or CO2 or whatever, is the percentage of oxygen that is in the air. My, my feeling was that if, if CO2 was a pollutant, invert, inverted commas, then the percentage of oxygen 
would be going down and that would be a worrying trend. But from what I understand, the percentage of oxygen in the air has stayed constant for a very long time at 20.9%. Well, well, that's because CO2 is in the atmosphere at such a it's, a... it's a trace gas. It's actually a trace gas of the trace gases. It's only uh, four hundredths of a percent. So just increasing it, tripling the, the CO2 levels would, would have would mean that oxygen, nothing's, it's so small, but it's a vital, it's vital and needed molecule that we do need. Uh, but just increasing CO2 is not really going to effectively drive down uh, other gases in the atmosphere. And you have to understand too, CO2, if we look at it again, as geologists look through Earth's history, uh, the what we find is that carbon dioxide levels dating back to, to the pre-Cambrian era averaged 2,600, 2,600 parts per million. Again, remember, that's six and a half times what we are today at 400. Uh, so we, we look at this, and we also look over the last 140 million years of Earth's history, CO2 levels have been in, in a significant and dangerous decline. Um, when the first flowering plants, they're called angiosperms, first evolved, that's a lot of the crops we rely on, uh, evolved CO2 levels were at 2,500 parts per million. And we've been almost a, a straight line decline, a linear decline. Uh, and at the end of the last ice age, we got to the lowest carbon dioxide levels in Earth's history uh, that we know of, dating back to the pre-Cambrian. It got down to 170 parts per million. And the reason it's dangerous, because if you get to 150, that's what I call the line of death. Plant life can't survive below 150 parts per million. So we've been increasing, thankfully, since that time. Uh, if we ever crossed that line, that would, that would be a, a horrific, that would be a true climate apocalypse. And if you think about it, those flowering plants, the angiosperms, they evolved at a time of very high CO2 levels. And that's what they're, they're, they're it's built in their DNA, if you will, uh, for high CO2 levels, again, at 2,500. Uh, at, at some point, as, we, as crops and CO2 levels dropped significantly, that we're down to these low levels that we're at right now, uh, there was another group of plants that, that filled in that low CO2 niche, things like corn, maize, uh, this, this other group of plants that were actually evolved because of the low CO2. So, so you, you're, 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 you're going to look at me askance, but when I tell you this, it's, it's my strong opinion, backed up by facts, that we don't have too much CO2. We don't have enough. We're actually CO2 impoverished, right. looking at the geologic picture. I was going to ask whether there, was, there were any trends out there that were worrying you. Surprisingly, that, that is one. Yeah. Are there any others? Uh, well, sea level's always brought up, but it, there's been no... We started increasing sea, uh, sea levels in the early 1800s, uh, 1820, 1830. And again, we were coming out of that little ice age, and we had to, and we started warming a century and a half before that. But you needed to reach that tipping point uh, where summer ice melt exceeded winter ice accumulation. And when that tipping point arrived in the 1800s, um, 
glaciers started to recede, and there's there's a strong correlation with we can fits right in with glacial retreat and sea level rise, and they both started occurring in the early 1800s, and we by about 1850 we're at about the same rate we are today. Again, this all occurred long before we started adding CO2. So we're, we're raising, sea levels rising about uh, 10 inches per decade or so. So it's not, it's nothing alarming uh, in this. Again, it's, I, I believe it's completely naturally driven. And we should be, instead of being, spending trillions of dollars trying to, we should be able to do things to mitigate that small rise in sea level. Do you think do you think that cl- climate alarmists are not so much interested in saving the planet per se? They just really hate humanity. Ah, uh, your Prince Charles has a lot to say about that. He <laughs> he doesn't seem to. That's probably where you're going with that. Yeah, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he he's talked about the benefits of a pandemic, and a, he'd really like to see. Oh, it. I mean, he must be over the moon now with coronavirus. Oh, he's loving it, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I think there's again we get back into the political science aspect of this, but there's there is a strong anti anti Western anti capitalist agenda by these. Uh, I go to these the Fridays for what are they, the school strike on Fridays. I call them Fridays for fascists, because uh, <laughs> these and I've gone to a couple. I'm calling you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania this morning, and the the most common sign I see there. It, it was mass produced, and you know this name, Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, absolutely. You're, we haven't seen it here in the United States as much. Those guys are bad news. Yeah. These are pre-printed, mass-made signs that says system change, not climate change. What they want to do, as you know probably, they want to bring down all Western uh, systems of government and replace it with with their version. They haven't really said what that is, but I think it does end in ashism and begin with an F. Yeah. And it's going to be it's these guys are, are scary. And, and I go and I, when I talk to I don't I talk to some of the students, the young kids there, but not so much because I was really stupid when I was 16, too. So uh, it's. Uh, it's the adults there that really I shake my head when I talk to them. Yeah, you t- you tend to grow out of that stuff once you have commitments and need to get a job and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I was a member of the Socialist Workers Party when I was in college for a short period of time. But I was uh, Ronald Reagan grabbed me by the back of the neck and dragged me into out of the darkness. And uh, so I'm going to be. After we hang up here, actually, my wife and I are leaving to go to what's called CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C., where uh, I'll be meeting. There'll be uh, quite many, many thousands. Donald Trump is speaking there on Saturday to us. And so it'll be uh, we'll be meeting with what they call the anti-Greta. I'm going to hopefully meet with her tomorrow. Uh, She's a, a young, young German girl. I think she's. 17 years old, but she's speaking out about uh, a lot of the things that I'm, I speak about. I mean, you've touched on the politics. For those people who are, let's say, skeptical about the, the alarmist side and want to try and, you know, let's say, halt this juggernaut before, you know, trillions of dollars and pounds and euros is just is just wasted. Uh, what what practical steps, what, what, what advice would you give people who are 
let's say politically active or just want to just want to try and see both sides of the debate rather than just the one side did the, the view they're getting from the mainstream media at the present what what should people do i'm going to be a little bit self-serving i'm going to say go buy my book inconvenient facts and we also have a companion smartphone app uh that we that we i think it's got the the top the 60 inconvenient facts are in the book you can have that in the palm of your hand uh, and that way, if you're, you're, uh, you can have all these these facts. That way, if your idiot nephew <laughs> tells you, "Well, Uncle Tim, did you know the polar bears are going extinct?" and you go, "Wait a minute," and you can pull out your smartphone. There so, are more polar bears now than there ever have been. Right, you can pull up, but you can pull out the smartphone. Yeah. Look at, well, here's fact number fifty-two, and I present sixty-year population history of polar bears. Yeah. You go, well. What about this, Benny? And uh, and he can he can go well. Uh, so, but it's all fully sourced and referenced, which is very important. Um, but 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 to be but to be fair, winning the argument with 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 cousin Ben is all well and good. But the people who really matter here are politicians. So how do how do we get them to change their? Or well, to, well, you, to, to you be have to start receptive? by. You have to start with people around you, though, haven't you? And then then yeah. lobby lobby the politicians. Yeah, I, and, and I'm optimistic. Because as I travel around the United States, I just about everybody I talk to is just fascinated by what I tell them. They're thirsty for the this inf- inconvenient information that they haven't received. They're thirsty for it. I have yet random people on an airplane sitting next to just just no matter where I go, people are fascinated by what I have to tell them because they haven't heard it. And and they go and I, and again I can pull out my smartphone and go well here's here's the chart that shows this, and they I, I'm I'm very optimistic that I I think these alarmists are just shooting themselves in the foot because it's one crazy thing after another. I mean there was one that I I read about amphibians, frogs, and toads were getting stupider. I didn't know you could get dumber than a frog, but apparently, and there's also stuff like increasing toenail fungus due to what? climate change. It was like, really? I'm, yeah. Okay, maybe, but, or it's just, I, I think people are skeptical when they're told these things. One one encouraging sign, I mean, we're, we're skipping about a bit in, in thematically, but one encouraging recent sign is we had we are you probably saw we had our elections a few months ago and there were a lot of people freaking out about the prospect of jeremy corbyn brackets you know our, our version of your bernie sanders brackets um uh sort of coming into uh, number 10 downing street and then basically sort of shutting down the economy and happily that didn't happen and it looks like he's now just going to get consigned to the outer darkness uh for the rest of his life but that we we came within a whisker of that happening, but happily it didn't it didn't occur. So, and and so the, what the point I'm trying to make is the the good news in this was that you had the Labour Party here, our Socialist Party, suddenly left leaning uh, party, throwing all kinds of promises out there in their in their manifesto, in their election campaign manifesto about free Wi-Fi for everybody, and just throwing increasingly more outlandish promises that that could never be funded. And the, and the UK population told them to piss off, and thank goodness that they did. So it's almost, in a sense, I, I'm also somewhat optimistic that the people, by and large, can see through a lot of this stuff when people are talking abject nonsense. It is summer. I was in New York City filming a, an episode with uh, Fox News. Uh, Steve Hilton, you're, you might recall, 
your Steve Hilton. He was he was a, he was a spad for he was a special advisor to uh, David Cameron, the, uh, the outgoing prime minister. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was on with him to film a, a segment on climate change in New York City last week. And uh, so and I was I was the, the night before I, I had sat sitting at a bar having having dinner at the bar. OK, <laughs> uh, but but the two fellows, they were talking politics. And I, I jumped in, of course. And and I said, well, who, who do you like? And they're going, oh, I like Bernie Sanders. And I said, well, you know, we started talking. And I said, really? He says, yeah, I can be bought. He says, whoever's going to give me the most free stuff, I'll vote for them. And it was like, oh, boy. So there are people out there like that. Sure. But again, they were young. See, it's, rash, it's rational to think that way when you know when you don't when you don't twig that somebody has to pay for it, or that you you don't think you're the person that's going to have to pay for it, even though your future self will. And then we, I'm going to have to apologize, but I have another interview in about two minutes. Sure. Zeb at the ranch, Zeb Bell. Uh, he lives in Idaho. He and his wife, a fascinating man, uh, polio victim. Uh, on crutches, but they do uh, calf roping in rodeos. So they strap him onto those. He's a fascinating guy, but he's he's got a radio show, so I'll be talking with him. That Well, that's absolutely amazing. Um, I just want to say a big thank you for, for you coming on the show. And we'll put links to your Twitter handle and to your website and, of course, to your book, which is has got some amazing ratings on Amazon. So, uh, you know, definitely check it out. I'm going to buy a copy. And we... We've just scratched the surface, I think. And it'd be, Gregory, if you would, we'd love to have you back on the show just to talk about some other issues as well. Would oh, that be possible one day? Oh, absolutely. I, you can tell I enjoy talking about this. It's my, my mission and goal in life is to get this information out there. And you're helping by doing this. And I, I appreciate it. And um, appreciate, again, the, the book. You can go to inconvenientfacts.xyz to see some Go look for the the videos on the witch hunts of, of the late Middle Ages. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Hope the conference goes well and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks thanks again, Gregory. And good luck with the next good luck with the next book. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Gregory. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, Tim. Uh, that that was amazing. That was great. Wasn't um, it? Absolutely brilliant. I was. I have a few questions that I wanted to ask him about sunspots. Mm. I've written. What do you think of Greta? But I think we know. Think we, the I think we know the that. answer to that one. Now. I think we know. And the, also the stuff that you, we couldn't cover because of time constraints this time round. We can get. We'll, we'll, I, I don't think that's going to be the last conversation we have about climate change. So so we'll, we we may do it with another. I may try try again with Joanne Nova or someone like that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the point is that. I think he's absolutely right that people are hungry for information. Mm. And it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the area of diet and, and, and health and whether, you know, eating meat is bad for you, as we're being told, and what the real facts are about it and how is the media manipulating us. Mm. And I don't think anybody would agree with a corporation polluting a river or polluting the atmosphere with, you know, some dangerous gases. But it's all bundled which, which in is... together to make the debate. 
Exactly. So it's not the same thing. What people are saying is that the, 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 the planet is warming and forest fires in Australia are obviously, inverted commas, mm. caused by climate, mm. by us, when in fact that just might not be the case at all. And all you have to do is dig a little deeper and just do a little research here and there and you find these inconvenient facts. Now, somebody who's who's obviously more qualified to, to, to interpret those facts and find, find the information. I reckon, you know, 90% of people are just going to take everything on face value sure. and not actually look into the details. Um, but I think one also has to ask themselves the question, what is... What is the? What are the facts here? Mm. What, what you know? Sort of clear your mind of everything and say, come on, let's work this out. And I think something like, I mean, an eye-opening thing is the the the, the you know the fairs on river, river on the River Thames. Yeah. That's that's mind-blowing. I mean, if that happened now, they would literally be probably rioting in the street. I would have thought. Well, and skating on the t- river. And skating as well. <laughs> Snowball fights. <laughs> Dogs but, and cats living but, together, but you know, who knows? In, indeed, indeed. But, but I'm yeah. sure. No, I'm sure this is something that's going to run and run. So I, this this will not be the last time we we you know we, yeah. we cover this one. The the other thing that I mean, it, it maybe in, in a weird way things are starting to become simpler rather than more confused. But the, the 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 alarming thing I find about this is there are so many similarities between the the climate alarmism and and also these you know these ludicrous you know extrapolations from from as 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 Gregory cited just then you know tiny amounts completely derisory amounts of real underlying data uh the similarities between that and say completely unsubstantiated claims about the economy and about modern monetary theory and well if you do this then that will happen but when there's no this this isn't scientific stuff this isn't science because science can be falsified and a, an experiment can be falsified and if it is falsified then that scientific theory is replaced by another one a superior one so i i have the same let's say disregard or lack of respect for climate alarmism as i do for people peddling bullshit economic theory because yes, it's indeed. because it's it, it, because it, there is no validity to it and it can never be proven you know so this so the conference that he's going to is the conservative political action conference and he's talking about he said the anti greta which i misheard i thought he said i'm going to see greta but he no, said the no he said he was going to see and, the anti greta which is this i've heard, yeah, i've heard her Naomi Siebert. Uh, but as a like 17 year old german lady but uh no, yeah 19 yeah, 19 year old yeah 19 yeah but uh, that's, it, that's interesting, isn't it? That that she's she's come forward and and uh, doing the opposite, really. Because what what a great way! Because it's so hard to criticise a seventeen-year-old girl. Yeah, it makes you come across. She's like the, doing the right thing. Come across like the villain, in, you know. Yes, of course. You're always going to look worse if you if you say anything against her because she's a schoolgirl who's who's trying to do the best for the planet. Yeah. So, and and so you're always on the back foot. So what better way to counter fight, that than fight, have another fight, fight fire with fire? Absolutely. Fight, wi- well, fight witches uh, that... with witches. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Fire with fire is quite a contentious word, isn't it? Yeah, I might have to least... rethink that metaphor. <laughs> but anyway, so on that bombshell, you... Tim, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, and we'll ca- and we'll catch you next time. Indeed. Bye bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor. 